When did we forget how to love? Did it happen suddenly? Or was it a gradual decline? When did we forget the very foundation of the gospel? For God so loved. Love is what moved God to action. Love is what held Jesus to the cross. Love is what rolled away the stone. But we, we've forgotten that part. Without love, we are simply a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, a bunch of noise. Without love, we are nothing. Is that what people see in us? Meaningless, empty noise? Love is supposed to be patient and kind, gentle, not angry or arrogant. Yet in our effort to stand on truth, we have forgotten the very thing these truths are based on. Love. Never once did Jesus fail in this. Not in his heartbreak or his anger. Not in his joy or his betrayal. His default has always been love. Maybe it's time the church was more like Jesus. Hello, church family. I'm so glad that, that you tuned in. Let, let, me, let me jump to that video, or if you're listening, that the, uh, the audio that you just heard. If, if that was a commercial, uh, then the Apostle Paul would be able to say at the end of it, my name is the Apostle Paul and I approve that message because he, he's quoted five different times uh, from his letters to the Romans, the, the church in Ephesus, and the church in Corinth. Uh, Paul stood for that kind of thing, and that's the series that we're in together. How do we draw from the letters that the apostle Paul wrote the early churches, the Gal churches in Galatia and Ephesus, Philippi, Rome, Corinth, Thessalonica, I might be missing one, but he wrote letters to those churches, teaching them and shaping them how to be a New Testament church, and so we're drawing from those letters, writing a letter from Paul to us, and the series is called To the Church of Converge. Before I get into week six of that series, I just wanted to say welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, you, this, you, you are a part of our Converge family. Whether you are just popping in because you're going to miss being with us in one of our locations, or this is where you stay connected, I'm glad that you're here. Welcome. If we learned anything, we learned, we learned lots of things because of COVID, but one of the things that we learned that I hope we don't ever, ever, ever go back on is that the church has got to be more than a building. We've got to learn how to be the church that's available and accessible in your homes and your neighborhoods and all throughout the city. And, and this is one of the things that we learned that we don't want to go back on is making the ministry of who we are, the DNA of who God is shaping us to be available to you wherever you are. So whether you 
are not ready to step into a church, maybe you don't plan to step into a church, you are a part of our family, so welcome. I'm glad that you're here. If you want to be a part and, and give generously to the ministry of our church so that we can continue to, to reach into the city and neighborhoods, our, our mission and model is going to be about equipping our families to do ministry in their neighborhoods as well as host some opportunities to come together as a church and do those things. You can give online right in the app. If you're watching in the app, just go back to the homepage. I'll pop to the corner and keep talking in the app and and you can give right on, on the front. You can scroll down. It'll give a place to give there. You can give online at thisisconverge.com or, or you can mail a check if that's uh, the way you prefer to do it. it I, don't, I don't know. Do people still have checkbooks? I'm not sure. But if you do, uh, then you can. there's an address on our website that you can send that to. It's address on 8th Street, which is where I am right now in our Converge office downtown in downtown Sacramento. So, so Paul said, in addition to the, the, the content of the, the video you just watched or the, the audio you just heard, Paul said things that, that, that really mirror uh, and support that, that idea, that, that how, how do we go back to what matters most, this idea of love? How do we be a place that, that hasn't forgotten that the most important thing we can do is to love? And so Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 to the church in Corinth, the three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and you probably know, maybe you've seen it stitched on something at Hobby Lobby, the greatest of these is love. That's a lofty statement. Faith, hope, and love. By grace you are saved through faith. And yet the greatest of these three things is love. In another place in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says, let love be your highest goal. Let love be the highest goal that you're trying to attain in life. Set love at the pinnacle of all things that you accomplish. To the letter, to his letter to the church in Rome, he says, "Don't just pretend to love others; really, love them." I mean, that's a challenge. I don't. I mean, we all can put the mask on. We all, we all can put pretend like we like some. And Paul's saying, "Don't do that." Paul says, "I know you. I know. I know you have a. You're wired to to, to pretend like you love people. Guard yourself against that. Don't pretend to love. Really, really love." And in another place in Romans, he says, "Bless your enemies. Don't curse them. Pray that God." Well, bless them. That one I ripped out of my Bible. I didn't like that one, so I just, I ripped, no, I, did, I didn't rip it out, but I, I, don't you want to, right? Don't you just wish that, that Paul, come on now, that's, bless your enemies. Uh, you know, it, it says don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Imagine your devotion starting with the list of people that are hurting you, and we, we began by going, God, I pray that you'd bless them. What a radical way of thinking. I want to look at another uh, a place in Paul's letter to the church in Romans. I'm in Romans chapter 13. I'm put my glasses on. Uh, for the commandments say this. This is Paul quoting the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, so Paul says, he, he lists some of the Ten Commandments and he says, all of those things I can sum up for you in one single commandment that you love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul kind of does what I do. You read some scripture and then you give a commentary on it. So he says in verse 10, love does no wrong to others. So therefore love fulfills the requirements of God's law. What, what Paul's saying is the commandments say don't kill and don't cheat and, and, and don't steal. And Paul's saying, well, if you don't, if you love, then you won't be tempted to kill. 
If you love your brother, you won't cheat on his wife. If you, if you are happy for your, your brothers and your sisters all around you, you won't steal from them. You'll celebrate the things that they have. If, if, you, if, you, if you settle into God's goodness and faithfulness for you, you won't covet what someone else has. You'll celebrate the blessings that they've been given. So Paul says, truly, if you love, you're, 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 you're not at risk of breaking the commandments because loving makes sure that you accomplish the commandments. Love is the most lofty thing that we can do. So that brings us to week six of our letter. So our sixth sentence in our letter goes like this. To the church of Converge, you be who God has called you to be. That was week one. Let God's spirit guide you. Week two, remember that people matter most. Week three. Week four was so live in harmony and stick together. Don't waste your gifts and work together. That was last week's and then this week's most importantly, love well, especially when it's difficult. So I got a disclaimer to make. The disclaimer is that, um, well, two disclaimers. Number one, they go together. Number one, I enjoy watching Project Runway, just throwing that out there. Um, I, I, if you, I don't know if, if you do or not, but I do. I, and I, I, I do. My wife enjoys it, and so I, I get sucked in. I always complain that I don't want to watch it. Like, it's like... They'll be, they'll be, my, my wife and my daughter will be watching it, and I'll kind of like, like complain about it, and then I get sucked into it, and I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, I, I, I'm not gonna lie, there are times that like I shed tears because I love people pursuing their dreams, and I love when their dreams like you know kind of come to fruition. But so I, that's that's disclaimer number one. So I just expect the emails and the the taunting texts, but I love Project Runway. Uh, might have something to do with the fact that my daughter is in fashion design in college, but. But the reason I bring up Project Runway is not just to expose myself. Um, it's it's to say that, that on the show Project Runway, these incredible world-renowned designers from all over the globe, like they, they have to present this deal to the judges. This 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 outfit, several a, a collection of outfits sometimes, and they have to present it. And they've been working on it for days sometimes. And then it's time for the runway. And so if you've ever watched Project Runway, they're like they're like fabric taping in random places, pinning stuff together, like stapling there. They're, they're using duct tape and twine, I think, at some point. I, I don't know. And, and they have to get it out there to the runway in hopes that the judges just see the construction overall and don't see that it's not fully complete. That's my message for you today. It's my message for you today, not because I'm unprepared and not because I haven't put the work into it. It just continued to evolve. Though God's word was so alive to me this week as I prepped this message. And so I'm going to be doing a little bit of processing out loud. I don't have much in the way of here's the points and here's the illustration to tie it all together. I really, really just want to share what I believe God's word is about how do we love, especially when it's difficult because God's word has shaped and challenged and changed me as I've been studying and I don't mean this to sound hyper spiritual but I mean it to say how God's been working in my heart as I've been studying I've, I've sat in that desk right there I've paced this floor thinking and processing and, and tears are streaming down my face as God's spirit spoke to me so I'm hoping that I can I can share that with you I want to go back to Romans chapter 13 it says love your neighbor as yourself in my notes I've got love your neighbor as underlined bold yourself. I never noticed that before. I never spent the time to, to notice it in this way before. You know, love your neighbor as yourself just feels like the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. But but this week, God's Spirit spoke to me. There, there's actually a contingent 
direct connect as the word as and like are simile so it's it's to say if you want to know more about this thing and you see a simile the word like or as the more you know about this thing the more you'll understand this thing and and, and paul in romans chapter 13 is quoting what jesus said in matthew and in mark where he says love your neighbor as yourself which means there is a direct connection to the way we love our neighbor with the way that we love and understand love and ourselves. The, the Passion Translation says it like this, love and value others the same way you love and value yourself. Doesn't that, now think about this. So there's a direct connection to, so if you are having a hard time understanding how to love and value yourself, you will therefore have a hard time understanding how to love and value others. It's not just the golden rule. It's an invitation to understand love for ourselves, so that we can know how to love our neighbors. At first glance, this is actually like a great thing, you know, because when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, and Paul's just quoting Jesus, and when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, that's that's good news if you don't like people, because Jesus says in, in Matthew 16, he says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you can follow me. So Jesus is saying, deny yourself if you want to follow me. So I can say to my neighbor, I have to deny myself, so therefore I can deny you because the way I love you is attached to the way I love myself. And Jesus says to deny myself. In one part, in another gospel, he says, if you love yourself, you'll, if you love your life, you'll lose it. But those who hate their lives will find it. So, so we see that this is this dichotomy that Jesus is saying, love your neighbor as yourself, but he's also saying and teaching us to hate ourselves. Is that what he's saying? So therefore, that means that we can hate our neighbors because we don't have to love ourselves. Well, well, no, that would be nice because I'm an introvert and it would give me permission to just not be around people, but that's not at all what Jesus is saying. Let, let me back up a little bit. I want to we'll put a pin in that. Remember, I'm Project Runwaying this. I was taping it together, so you have to bear with me. I'm going to jump around a little bit. The Bible does two primary things. It does a ton of things, but it does two primary things. And the two primary things that, that the Bible does is reveal to us more about God and reveal more to us about ourselves. The, the Bible's principal authorities, the principal point of the Bible is to reveal more to us about God and to reveal more to us about ourselves. That's what the Bible does. We like the God part, right? That's why we worship We worship when we say, how great is our God or our God is greater. Like we love to sing and to read and to discover the greatness of God, but that's only part of the point of the Bible. The other part of the Bible is to reveal to us more about ourselves. And the Bible illuminated to us through God's Spirit wants to illuminate things about our hearts, to expose things about our hearts. That's why David said in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. Help me see myself the way that you do. Expose me. David would say, search me, God. Expose me. And that, that prayer is still a relevant prayer for us today because when God's Word reveals itself to us, it allows us to respond in a way that draws us to what we know to be about God. The more we know about ourselves, the more we we, we deny those things. That's what Jesus was saying. Deny yourself or lose your life is to lose the things that are, that are drawing you away from God. And the Bible exposes those things and allows us to be drawn towards the work of Jesus in our life. And those the exposing that happens when we see ourselves, I think there's two or three, there's three primary responses. I, I wrote them down this way. You, you might have others, but for the sake of my message, I, I three typical responses to ourselves. To, to, to knowing ourselves, knowing more about ourselves. Number one is to avoid ourselves. 
Number two is to adapt ourselves. And number three is to accept ourselves. So I'd say it like this, to avoid ourselves is to go, I know I got an anger problem. I know I have an addiction problem. I, I know that I struggle hor hor tragically with this particular thing in my life, but, but I don't want to deal with it. I'm, I'm going to avoid that thing. I know that I need help. I know that I could use some accountability. I know I would benefit greatly from walking with someone in, in, in this journey of discipleship, but I don't want to deal with that. That's too hard. That's too difficult. So we avoid the parts about ourselves that we just frankly don't want to deal with. It'd be too hard, too gross. We don't know what to expect. It might be a Pandora's box, so we just avoid it. That's one way. The other thing is we adapt ourselves. So for me, this has been kind of the one that's always uh, plagued me the most. Like for my most of my 30s, I was just trying to find a sense of identity wherever I could find it. Like, like, like I was in my 30s, my, my, my relationship with my family of origin had kind of unraveled. And so I really truly didn't have a sense of identity in my family of origin. I was leading worship and leading and, and pastoring this large six campus mega church with thousands in front of thousands of people every weekend while my faith was in crisis and so I'm standing in front of people not really sure what I believe singing songs about a belief that I didn't know where I what I, what I, I, I what it was true in my life and so I could be that on Sunday morning I would ride Harleys with in motorcycles and, and just staying out too late not being a great dad not making great decisions on Friday night and Saturday night and I with when I was with them I was a biker but then Sunday morning in church I was a worshiper and I was really just adapting wherever I could belong because I didn't like me I didn't like me so I just adapted to wherever someone would give me a sense of worth that's one way that we respond to ourselves when we are seeing ourselves and then the last one i think this is the most dangerous and i've done a lot of this too we accept ourselves and he said well don't you shouldn't we just accept ourselves well yes and no we accept the work of jesus in our lives that he sees us right where we are that he accepts us right where we are but we don't accept ourselves because what, what i mean when i say accept ourselves is to say that's a lot of times when it's just like i'm not that bad at least i don't do that at least i look i i knew that their life would unravel at least it's mine's not that bad or it also comes up when when we say things like i just speak my mind i just say what's on my mind i i just i just say it like it is well you say i just speak my mind well really what you don't realize is that you're just a jerk like you just accepted the fact that you're a jerk. You just accepted the fact that you just you mouth word vomit on people and because you just speak your mind. No, you don't you don't just we don't just settle in that's just how I am. No, we 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 evaluate ourselves through the lens of scripture. We avoid the temptation to uh, avoid ourselves, adapt ourselves, or accept ourselves. And we invite God's spirit to meet us as we the more we know ourselves and make and make us become more like Jesus. And, 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 and because of that, I'm going to ask you, as I've asked me, to do the bravest thing that I've ever asked our church to do in the history of me being and living here in California. I'm going to ask you to examine yourself, to, to, to put a mirror up, to evaluate yourself, and, and to see as God's Spirit illuminates your heart, as God's word does what it does, it shows us more about God and it shows us more about ourself as his spirit does a work through, through this message, hopefully, that you would examine yourself and you would be honest with yourself because the only way we're going to love people well as a church is when we learn to be honest about ourselves. There's a direct connect.
to what we understand to be true about love in our own lives. What we understand to be true about the work of grace in our own lives that is directly attached to the way we love others. And there's like this, there's this pendulum. Like for instance, here's what God says about, about this pendulum I wanna to talk to you about. And James, he says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see that? There's these two paradigms. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Another place in James, he says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. There's already this thread. I've had a ton of verses. I don't even know that I'm going to read them all, but, but I, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted those of humble estate. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. John's, John says in the book of John, he must increase, and I must decrease. We can see here this... This like this pendulum of sorts. For some, we're gonna look at ourselves. We're gonna ourself. We're gonna look in the mirror of ourselves. The lens, the lens of God's word. The the Holy Spirit's gonna reflect our us through His Spirit. And it's probably gonna be one of two places. We either need to be humbled and to see ourselves in a, in a much more humble, postured way that says, "Who do I think I am?" It's, it's the work of Jesus in my life. It's not me. It's the work of Jesus. There's, there's, for some, there's going to be this need to, to be humbled through the lens of grace. And for others, there's gonna, the, the God's Spirit's going to lift our heads the, like, like the Puritans who have this sense that we're all just worms. Now, I don't believe that. I believe for many of us, God's Spirit is going to lift our heads and say, hey, hey, you, you have this sense that I don't love myself. I don't, I, I don't belong. I'm not good enough. I, I, I've blown it too many times. And for the others, it's not going to be need to be humbled God's spirit's going to lift you and exalt you and when we find that middle ground in the new life that God has given us that his spirit reveals to us we then will know more about God's love for us which will allow us to know more about the way we love other people rather than avoid ourselves adapt ourselves or accept ourselves oh that we would receive the grace of God because and I wrote this this received grace is our only hope to reflect grace this received grace is our only hope to reflect grace. And Jesus' instruction to love others, I'm sorry, if Jesus' instruction to love others is directly connected to the way we love ourselves, then when he says things like deny yourself and take up your cross and, and he, who loves, he who loves his life will lose it, he who hates his life will find it, he's not talking about our new self. He's talking about the old self. Don't deny the new self. The new work is the thing that Jesus is trying to do. And that new life is what we need to learn how to love and embrace. And so Jesus says, or Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and, and verse 17, Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, I pulled this in the Passion Translation because I love that. If anyone is enfolded into Christ, you just just enveloped and wrapped up in Jesus. He has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Everything is fresh and new. So when, when Jesus is saying deny yourself, he's saying the old man so that the new man can have the new identity, the new woman can have a new identity in Jesus. The editor of the Passion Translation wrote this in a way of commentary. This would include our old identity, our life of sin, the power of Satan, the religious works of trying to please God, our old relationship with the world, our old mindsets. We are not reformed or simply refurbished. Listen to this. We're not reformed or simply refurbished. We are made completely new by our union with Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Man, I love that. I bought my daughter a MacBook Air recently for college and, and you know, like they're expensive. So I bought her a refurbished one. Got it in and it had some dings on it, but hey, it was like $600 cheaper. 
We are in Christ. We are not a refurbished model. We are brand new. And the invitation, if we're going to love others as we love ourselves, then we have to learn how to deny the old self and to love and embrace the new work that Jesus has making us to be because it's in that understanding that we will learn how to love others. Colossians says it like this. This is another place that Paul writes this to the church in Colossae. Put on your new nature. There it is again. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, there it is again. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Do you have a tendency to see with a critical eye others? You're seeing in the old self. And, and, And when you love through the lens of the old self, that directly influences the way you love your neighbors. And so in order to not be critical and to see the, the, the differences and for those things, this, the, oh, glad I'm not that, or wow, how could they choose that, or why would they live like that? That's, that's through the lens of, of the, the old self. We're invited to, to not, not look through the lens of barbaric or free or circumcised or uncivilized or slave or... We're not, we're not asked to, we're asked to see folks through the lens of what Christ has done to bring union. Do you have, you find yourself with the critical eye? You find yourself being judgmental? Do you consider yourself to just always somehow for some reason just think the worst of people? You're not, you don't give the benefit of the doubt very easily. Friend, I would say that's likely because you're, you're, you're loving yourself through the lens of the old version. And when you see what Christ has done in you and learn to receive yourself and love yourself through the lens of Christ, what Christ has done, on that pendulum of humility and being, being, being exalted in Christ, but humbling the old man and letting Christ exalt the new man, then that will change the way that you love others. There's this thing, I have, I have a picture that I'll show in, in the theater this weekend. Um, it's called sea glass. I, I, I didn't know any, what sea glass was. I discovered it this week, but... But sea glass is beautiful. You can Google image search it. Like there's a, there's a beach near Fort Bragg in California that's just covered in sea glass, and you're not allowed to take it away because uh, there are limited resources. And actually, to try to buy real sea glass in any semblance of bulk, it's pretty expensive because it's gorgeous. It's super cool and and has a ton of character. And what sea glass is, is trash that has become valuable over time. When I think of the process of, of, of knowing the work that God is doing and seeing ourselves through a new lens, I, I think of this thing called sea glass. And this thing called sea glass is basically as the currents in the ocean begin to, to surface these things that have been in you know, bo- bo- old bottles and, and, and the things that have been dumped, windows and, and, and just all kinds of different glassware that's been dumped in the ocean surface and they break down. And these shards of glass that were nothing more than just shattered bottle, Coke bottles on the bottom of the ocean are, are being formed and broken off. And over time, the waves and the salt and the atmosphere and the, the tumultuous churning of the tides is shaping off the edges of these things and throwing them on the shore. And these are wildly collectible, valuable sea pieces of sea glass. What was once trash has been transformed over time to become something very valuable. What is it that Paul says when he, when he speaks of his own accomplishments? It's rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. 
you know, I think of my life. It's interesting that the process of making from a shard of glass to becoming something that drifts onto shore and is sea glass is about 30 to 40 years, but it could take upwards of 80 to 100 years. I find it just fascinating and, and somewhat coincidental that it's it works within a similar lifespan of humanity, especially in your journey of knowing Jesus. Because when I look back at who I, I'm 41 now, and I look back at who I was at 21, there were some super sharp edges in my life. Man, I, 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 I was rubbing people, cutting people. And then I'm 41 now. Oh, God's, God's done a work in me. And it's been through waves and, and, and tumultuous tides. Uh, it's been through some erosion in my life. But ultimately, he smoothed off. He smoothed away a lot of those edges. And there's a work in me that's not the same. Man, there's, there's, there's a treasure inside of me that is the work of Christ in me. That the longer I walk with him, the more that he shapes that in me and I'm seeing something of beauty surface out of my life that's not found in the old man it's found in the new thing that God is designing in me this new life this new identity the more we discover and know it and surrender to the work of it the more we're able to see the work of redemption in the life of others this sea glass reality from trash to treasure I believe marks the work of God's spirit to trans us. And when we surrender to the process of transformation in our own life, it reveals to us how powerful the work of God's Spirit is, and it gives us grace and space for it to happen in the lives of others. If I was to like make a quote of Jesus taking the idea of love your neighbor as yourself through the lens of this message, I'd say it like this. I would quote Jesus or or quote the thought of Jesus by saying, the more of, of your new life that you discover, the more excited you become to help people in theirs. Like, I wonder if that could be a, a way to reframe what Jesus, when he says, love your neighbor as yourself for the sake of this message and, 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 and pulling from so many of the things that Paul says, we could reframe that and say, love your neighbor as yourself could be reframed to say, the more you of your new life that you discover, the more excited you become to help people and there, so in essence, I can forgive because I am forgiven. I can love because I am loved. I can fight for them because I was fought for. That 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 Second Corinthians five seventeen that I read. Let me read it again, and then I want to read the rest of the chapter in context. It says this in Second Corinthians five seventeen, and I'm almost done. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, I love that he's become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of excuse me, reconciling others to God. Verse 19, in other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world. I just want to put a pin in that. God was, it was through the anointed one, through Jesus, that God was shepherding the world not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he, he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliations to God. The, man, that God has entrusted to us the work of opening the door of reconciliation to others. Having been reconciled, now we have an opportunity and a responsibility to open the door for reconciliation to others, we are ambassadors of the anointed one who carries the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. 
that the heart of God is being communicated to others through our lips. And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying, you got to learn how to see yourself through the way that I see you. Because when you see yourself the way that I see you, it's your lips that now are going to speak to others. And with their opportunity to know that same way, the work that I've done in you, to reveal to you the love that I have for you, the identity that I'm shaping in you. Now you are advocates and ambassadors to help them see through your lips the way you love them the work that's been done in your transformation and now you are eager eager to see that same transformation in their lives i get so excited about this we are ambassadors of the anointed one as though god were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips so we tenderly plead with you on christ's behalf and then this is in quote this is the plead turn back to god and be reconciled to him for god made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of god through our union with him. When the work of Christ, the mirror of his spirit is illuminated to us, we see ourselves rightly. We don't avoid or adapt or just accept ourselves, but we we surrender to, we give way to the, the, the work of transformation that takes away the rough edges that we have. When, when, when that happens in our life, then it, unlocks a door for us and allows us to do that work in the life of other people. I said I didn't want to stick a pen in at verse 19 of that passage. In other words, it was through the anointed one, through Jesus, that God was shepherding the world. It's hard to see that word in the Bible and not think of Psalm 23. So I went to Psalm 23. I tried to just cross-reference and, and stay kind of really liquid in the move of God's word to see where... He, his word is alive, and it just it speaks in such powerful ways. And I, I encourage you to fall in love with the word of God. Um, but I went when I saw the word shepherding. I went to Psalm 23, and something just jumped out at me. And I want to wrap this up quickly, but I want you to see this. I won't read Psalm 23, but I just kind of I'll kind of just like give you the highlight of it, and then and then Paul's on a familiar passage in it. Like, but for context, you know, the writer of Psalm 23 was David. And, and David, like I mentioned last weekend, he's one of my favorite heroes. He's like a, my favorite Bible character, just, just, just like just an awesome character in, in the Bible. And, and David was a shepherd. Before he was king, he was a shepherd. In fact, David, he, he's, he, we're, we know David is a pretty valiant warrior, not only because he fought Goliath with a sling and a rock, although this dude was, Goliath was like tall and had a sword and scared everybody and the whole nation of Israel. David took him out with a sling and a rock, but, and that's pretty awesome. But to me, I, I even think that one of the more wild feats is when we read about David that, that as, when he was shepherding, so he's tending sheep, and as he's tending sheep, he killed lions and bears with his bare hands. Like, like, like a lion and a bear would come and take a sheep from the fold. David would chase that fool down and take the bear or the lion with his bare hands. David was a shepherd among shepherds. And now David, as a shepherd, knows what it means to be a shepherd, knows how much he cares for his sheep, what he would do for the sake of his sheep. He writes a psalm, and it starts with, the Lord is my shepherd. And as David's writing this, he's already like, he's aware of shepherdry, right? He, he, he When he says the Lord is my shepherd, he knows what he would do for these sheep, and he's saying to his Lord Jesus, I, I I know what you'll do for me. 
I know what I do with these sheep, and I, how, how much more do I know what you would do for me? And he, he speaks to the kinds of things that he would do for his sheep. And he says this to be true. I know this to be true about you, Jesus, my shepherd. David's, David's saying, I, I want to lead my sheep to just, just quiet waters. I want to find the greenest meadows for my sheep. So he says, Jesus, you take me to quiet, peaceful waters. Streams where I just, I just settle in. I, I, love, I love looking at what I was saying to a friend of mine. I was at a lake just a couple days ago and, and looking at the water. and Just something about the peace of water. And, and David's saying, I like to take my sheep to water. They find them just peaceful places to drink. And he's saying, you do that for me, Jesus. You take me to quiet streams. You you find the greenest pastures for me, just like I tried to do for my sheep. He says, he says, I, I know what I would do for my sheep. And he says, God, you 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 even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't gotta fear nothing. Because he says, my my sheep don't fear. And David's like, my sheep don't fear anything. I've taken out lions and bears. How much more do I not gotta be afraid whenever I walk through scary things? You're my shepherd, God. And then he says the the the, the, the weirdest thing of all. There's two parts to it. You prepare a table for me. That part we can give. I'm like, let's go. So he's David saying, you set up a table for me, like a table for two, like like you and me, dining together, doing life in, in your presence. He's saying, I love to be in your presence, and you you prepare a table, you prepare a feast for me, you take care of me, you you lay a spread before me, and then he says the stupidest thing I've ever known David to say in the presence of my enemies. David, what were you thinking? Like, 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 David, the psalm should say, you prepare a table for me among the dead bodies of my enemies. You know what I'm saying? Like, you prepare a table for me among all the spoils of war that I've collected from my enemies. But David says, you prepare a, a table for me in the presence of my enemies church i've been stuck there most of the week i was i was stuck there and i prayed and prayed and prayed god why 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 was a table prepared in the presence of of my enemies and god revealed two things to me number one I, it's not really part of the thought but i want to share it quickly he's teaching me to keep my eyes on him so basically he's saying to those things that have a tendency to suck my joy to those things that have a tendency to take away my peace. To those, to those people in my life that, that just are, are constantly breaking my heart. Jesus is saying, hey, 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 look at me. Look at me. They're here, but I'm here. And so Jesus says to me, in the presence of my enemies, you look at me. And so in the midst of the diagnosis that I'm concerned about... In the midst of the, the marriage that you're stressed about, in the midst of the financial picture that looks very bleak, in the midst of the, the job transition, in the midst of the I don't know what to do after high school, in the midst of the I'm not sure if this is the right career path for me, Jesus is setting up a table for two. He lays a spread in front of you. And if you're like me, you have a tendency to go, whoa, looking around at your enemies all around. And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, look at me. If I'm here, you don't got to stress this stuff. That's the first thing. It's not really a part of my message, but I, I, I couldn't miss telling it to you. But the second thing is the most important thing. He, he is reminding me where I came from. He's reminding me where I came from. Last time I was in Ohio, I, I didn't go there, but um, the home that my wife and I bought when I, we were, I was 20, it cost us 532 bucks a month, mortgage, insurance, escrow, everything. $532. 
a month. We, it wasn't much, but we raised our family there and we're so, so incredibly grateful. And there's something about those places that you started from. My wife and I still say to this day that the moment that we experienced the most peace in our life was sitting on that front porch. And to be honest with you, it was right before what most people would say the the life shifted and our, our, the, the greater blessings began to flow in. We started making more money. We started to have nicer things. To be honest with you, we say this regularly. There's a moment on that front porch where we had nothing, probably had 150 bucks to our name. We sat on that front porch and we held hands and we said to one another, I'm, this, if this is all that life is, this is more than enough. We had such tremendous, tremendous peace. So that's where we came from. And now we live in California. I, I didn't go visit that house last time I was in town, but I've, when I go back to Ohio, I'll drive by. There's just something about where we came from that's like, wow. And, and now, though, our house costs five or six times that. Going back to where I came from is like this really settling, wow, you are so faithful, Jesus. He sets a table for us in front of our enemies, I think because of Romans 5. Verse 10 and 11. For since our friendship with God, the table now that we have set before him, was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice here at the table where a table's been set for two, a table that I don't belong at. We can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. I think sometimes that he brings us and he sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies because he wants to remind us what what he did for us. Reconciliation is an option because we were once enemies. We were once separate. We were once we were once completely uh, re- rejecting while we were still sinners Christ died for us. And Romans says we were restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. He sets me in front of my enemies so that I know the power of the work of reconciliation. So that I know the power of the work of redemptive of the redemptive work of God's spirit of the the, the healing work of the cross. I sit there in the presence of my enemies so that God knows you were once an enemy of me and look where you are now. And that motivates me to learn how to love my enemies. So when I go to Romans and it says, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. I sit in the presence of God and when I'm tempted to call them my enemies, I'm remembered I'm sitting here in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but I should be on the table on the other side of him as his enemies. Oh, but he adopted me in. He invited me in. He said, I'm going to make you a friend so I, I said in the, I sit in the presence of my enemies because it reminds me of what he did on the other side of the table to teach me how I could be loved though I was an enemy and as I learned to understand that understand to love that work that, that redemptive plan that God has done in me it teaches me how to embrace grace and love the new man that Jesus is shaping. For you, the new woman that Jesus is shaping. And that changes now how we love our neighbors. And those on the outside can somehow, through the redemptive work of Christ, find their way back to the table. Maybe even with us. James chapter 1, verse 23 through 25. I want to read this and then we'll be done. 
If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. Verse 25, but those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by it, and they respond to the truth they hear, and they are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. I asked you earlier to gaze into the mirror of yourself and to see yourself the way that God sees you. I, I don't know what your day has in store. I don't know if you're, you'll have time to do this. In our, in our in-person gathering, I've got little compact mirrors that we're going to give everybody that's got our logo on it and open it up. And at the top of the compact where the mirror is just simply says, Jesus, help me to see myself the way that you do. And that's my prayer I want to ask you to do today. I ask you to examine yourself. But when you examine yourself, I just got to remind you, as I try too often, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. Examining yourself, you don't have to be afraid of what is there. Because what is there is where Jesus wants to meet you. To, and you can gaze deeply into the work of cro the cross of Christ. Gaze deeply into, what's it say? Those who have set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty. You're looking into the law of freedom. You're looking into the word of God that sets you free. You're looking into the word of God where there is forgiveness, where there is hope, where there is grace, where there is mercy in the time of need. You're looking into that. When you gaze deeply into that, you're fascinated by it. And you respond to the truth and you're strengthened by it. And you can experience God's blessing in all that you do. That is my prayer for you. I don't know what your day has in store, but maybe, maybe, maybe you could find the time just to sit and meditate on God. Reveal myself to me. Teach me to see the work that you're doing. Teach me to embrace the work, the, the, the sea glass shaping and shaving away the rough edges that you're doing so that I can have overwhelming grace for the work of shaping and transforming that you're doing in my neighbors all around me. What's the quote I said I reframed Jesus' quote? Um, where's it at? Uh, uh. The more of your new life that you discover, the more excited that you become to help people in theirs. Let's look deeply into the work that God is doing in us because we are the ambassadors, our lips sharing the very hope that God wants to say to our neighborhoods, our families, our city, our community, our workplaces, our dorm rooms. We are the lips of God. Well, we gotta do the work in ourselves so that we can be ambassadors to the work in the lives of other people. I love you, church. I hope this finds you in a way that brings healing and hope for all that God has in store for you. I love you. I'll see you next week.